Chapter Six of Bilihild by Julie Sutter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Six: Ill weeds grow apace. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. John three six. The day had come on which Hayden brought home his bride. According to old Thuringian custom, it was on a Tuesday. The Herzog had invited the nobles from the country round about to be present at the wedding. They and their retainers accompanied him to Husheim in grand procession. Some of his guests were Christians, others more or less well inclined to Christianity, while most were anxious to uphold the worship of the gods. As far as the wedding was concerned, this offered no difficulty. In the early time of the Christian religion, marriage was a purely civil act, in which the church had no part beyond the congregation's prayer for a blessing on the couple, on the Sunday following the ceremony. By degrees, however, the custom obtained that a Christian couple stated their desire to marry one another in the presence of a priest, who, having witnessed this, added his blessing. Hayden and Billihild, having already expressed such a desire on their part in the hearing and knowledge of Abbot Coleman, had no need of doing so a second time. When the Herzog arrived at Husheim to fetch his bride, he was met by Coleman and Totman at the entrance of the oratory, where the united congregation had prayed for a blessing on the noble pair. Totman, having been the oldest friend of Billihild's father, led the maiden to her husband. Before quitting his hand, Billihild sank to her knees, asking the old man's blessing. Hayden would have done likewise, but felt reproved by the frowns of his heathen companions. Totman, nevertheless, whose right hand was laid on Billihild's head as she knelt before him in her bridal wreath, included the Herzog in the blessing, praying God to grant him wisdom in ruling and strength at all times to confess and stand by the truth as far as might be given him to see it. "'May she be a true and faithful wife to you,' he added. The Lord hath brought you together, and what God hath joined, let not man put asunder. The Herzog had come with rich presents to the Cenobi. Droves of kine and sheep had followed the procession, and were now made over to the community. But the brethren and sisters also had taken care that the bride should not go empty-handed to her husband's house. A wagon stood in readiness, drawn by bullocks decked with garlands. The wagon was to convey Billahilt's humble dowry, left her by her mother, and added to by the community according to their power. There was a goodly store of homespun wool and linen, a spindle and distaff wreathed with flowers, a bedstead of maple wood and furnished with bear and rose-skins. But the greatest treasure which the men of God could send with the bride to her new home was that gospel book of which Gertrude had read to Billahild's dying mother. A bridal feast had been laid in the refectory, for which the Herzog himself had provided the choicest venison. When the meal had been partaken of, the Christian maidens accompanied their sister Billahild as far as the ring fence which enclosed the Cenobi. She took leave of them tenderly, bidding a wistful good-bye to Totman and the true-hearted Gertrude, and having mounted the palfrey provided for her, the young Herzogin rode away by the side of her husband, and followed by his noble retinue. The path leading through the forest had been cleared by Hayden's orders. Near the rock where he had first seen Billihilt, the boy Damualis and Katalt, who had recovered from his wounds, stopped their passage, holding a rope between them as they stood one on each side of the path. The Herzog laughed, throwing a coin to each. Damualis and Katalt caught his gift with a merry shout and allowed them to pass. Katalt's hatred of Christianity had vanished under the loving treatment he had received at the hands of the brethren. He was being instructed in the truth, and he loved the boy Damualis, to whom in a measure he owed his life. When the bridal procession came forth from the beechwood, the bell at Würzburg proclaimed the joyful event. Abbot David and his brethren stood waiting their approach by the river and sang the forty-fifth psalm while the bridal party with horses and wagons were ferried across. When they had landed, the abbot stepped up to the noble pair, offering them his greeting. "'The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth, and even for evermore.' 
Hayden thanked him, waving his hand, but rode on at once. Halfway up the mount, where the approach to the borg was guarded by outworks, the Herzog's retainers awaited their master. They also stopped the passage by holding a rope across the path. When Hayden had paid the expected toll, the heathen company struck up the usual wedding song, which the Christian bride could not listen to without a blush. She closed her eyes, and could have wished to close her ears as well. But painful as this incident was to her feelings of modesty, she soon forgot it in the more painful expectation of meeting the old Herzogin. As the company entered the inner court, she looked anxiously about her, fearful of seeing the fanatical heathen, in whose alleged kindly disposition toward her she reposed but little faith. Hayden noticed her inquiring gaze, and said quickly, "'My mother has retired to her widow's abode at the Hommelborg.' Belial turned to her husband with grateful eyes. His words had removed a heavy weight from her heart. But great was the surprise with which she now looked about her. The borg seemed a marvel of repairs. It was higher than before. The old shingle roof had been replaced by an elevation covered with chalkstone. In fact, it now was a splendid edifice to her inexperienced eyes. Her astonishment could but be added to as she entered the hall. How high and airy! The walls and ceiling whitewashed and decked with garlands of oak leaves. The hall, formerly so dark and dingy, was positively bright and cheerful. The Herzog had succeeded in all his endeavors, to the windows even. From the far-off town Lutetia, note, Paris, in the country of the Westrasian Franks, he had procured small plates of pellucid feldspar, which, fixed in lead after the fashion still seen in old church windows, admitted the daylight very fairly, and though somewhat yellow of appearance, were certainly an improvement upon the mere lattice. In the upper part of the hall dinner was laid for the Herzog and his newly married wife three successive tables below being prepared for his guests, his retainers, and the servants of the Borg. The former, according to old habit, on laying aside their swords, would have thrust them crosswise into the floor, but the bare earth now was covered with flags. With evident annoyance they returned the swords to their sheaths. "'Things have changed now from what we and our fathers have been accustomed to,' said Tjotbert, one of the heathen guests, loud enough for Hayden to hear. "'But by Tresco surely we are not denied the bridal march.' "'No,' returned Hayden, "'you shall have your desire.' And taking his hat, he tossed it toward the dais, whispering to Billyhilt, "'Throw thy shoe after it.' Billyhilt hesitated a moment, not knowing the dance and its preliminaries, or whether she as a Christian ought to join. She looked imploringly at her husband, and in doing so accidentally caught the eye of Heimrich, who stood behind him and gave her a quick nod of encouragement. Thereupon she took her right shoe and flung it after her husband's hat. But Hayden had seen the glance, and said with evident displeasure, Thou hast no need to consult my retainer. I ask nothing that goes against thy faith. And taking her by the hand, he opened the dance, the guests by pairs joining in procession to the anything but melodious sounds of a buffalo horn. It was not to Heimrich I looked for an answer, now whispered Billyhild, but to you, my husband, it was mere accident that my eye caught his. I rejoice to hear it, said Hayden. Thou art never to forget that I am to be nearest and dearest, and thou must look to me in everything. Have I not parted with my own mother, lest she should come between thee and me?" Billyhilt pressed his hand gratefully. The slight shadow of misunderstanding had vanished. The wedding feast ran its happy course, and Billyhilt watched the merry dancing of the humbler portion of her husband's household, which terminated the festivity. Happy weeks followed. Billyhilt's new life was not so full of thorns as she had anticipated. Hayden loved her passionately, and did what he could to please her. He never interfered in any way with the practice of her religion. He even began by accompanying her every Sunday as far as the Cenobi. But he never entered, and she wisely forbore pressing him to join in the worship. 
nor did she know that the real reason of his going with her was a feeling of jealousy, lest she should have an opportunity of entering into conversation with his Christian retainer, Heimrich. But judging presently that his jealousy was altogether unwarranted, he gave up accompanying her, and she walked to the Cenobi with those of the women-servants who were Christians. She showed unvarying kindness to all her servants, Christian or heathen alike, and practiced great forbearance with the ill habits of the latter. Her daily duties were much the same as would be expected nowadays of a well-to-do farmer's wife. She had been carefully trained in the Cenobi, and she set about governing her women with great tact and firmness. But every morning before entering upon the day's labor she gathered the Christian women-servants about her to read with them a portion of the gospel and to offer up prayer. The Christian retainers and men-servants soon listened to this daily worship, gathering one by one at her window. When she noticed their attendance she begged her husband to allow them a place of meeting where they might unite in prayer amongst themselves. Hayden gave the solicited permission. One day a heathen maid-servant, to whom the young mistress had shown loving care and illness, expressed her desire to listen to the reading in the morning. Bilahild, of course, gave her joyful leave. The Herzogin also did not forget to visit the poor and sick about her, making no distinction of religion, if any needed her aid. She never pressed Christianity upon the heathen that thus came under her influence, but neither did she forgo any opportunity of showing that her religion was the living source of the self-forgetting charity which she practiced among them and whenever she discovered that a case of illness was being treated with heathen sorcery, she insisted on the latter being given up if she should continue with her remedies and her prayerful attendance. And she soon found to her great delight that her heathen neighbors valued her kindness, and rested greater confidence in her means than in the charms and jugglery of the artful priests. Some of those she thus came into contact with even begged her to give them Christian instruction, but she always referred them to the Cenobi. Thus her Christian influence spread about her, quietly but surely. Only one seemed altogether untouched by it, and that was he who witnessed most of Billyhilt's purity, gentleness, patience, and loving obedience. Hayden kept his word as a man of honor, granting protection and full liberty to all Christian people about him, and showing kindness to both Cenobis, more especially to that at Hushheim, but it never entered his mind to assist at any opportunity of Christian worship. He fully approved of his wife's ways and doings. He was even proud to hear her spoken of everywhere with love and veneration but he never entered into conversation with her concerning the respective merits of her religion or his. Some months had passed when Pilum, having recovered from his accident, returned to the Borg. Hayden could not fail to notice a marked change in his life. He never saw him intoxicated, never heard him swear. His very countenance seemed clothed in truth and honesty, instead of the slyness of expression which had formerly disgraced it. But seeing him join the Christian men at morning prayers, the Herzog asked, astonished, whether he too had forsaken the gods and Pilung answered, "'I have learned to serve the true God, who found me in the forest and brought to light my falsehood. Ah, noble Herzog, you also were a witness to his finding me and giving me the wages of my sin. Will you not acknowledge him to be God?' "'I have not asked you to preach to me,' said Hayden, turning his back upon him. Nor was it altogether surprising. Hayden loved not Billyhilt for the sake of her faith, but he showed kindness to those who were of her faith, instead of hating them as before, for the sake of Billyhilt whom he loved passionately. It is true he could not forget that this love had come to him on seeing the maiden show kindness to an enemy when he felt the breath and beauty of another spirit than the gods he knew. But that grace of heaven-born charity, which is more than mere earthly love of man and woman, was to him only an additional charm enhancing the sweet picture which had so suddenly filled his soul. For Billyhilt's sake he could put up with that god who was near to her, present with her, her god but not his. It was enough for him if through her he enjoyed the protection of that god, if in answer to her prayers he partook of his favor, 
It was enough for him, he thought. That his wife's god must become his god was an uncomfortable idea, for he felt that he too, in that case, would have to change much in his own life, that he would be obliged to yield up his own will in many things, and accept the teaching and admonition of the men of God, and that was more than his pride could brook. Neither did he consider conversion to Christianity a wise proceeding in the light of worldly wisdom. Most of the high-born in Thuringia and beyond it were still in the bonds of heathenism, so much so that when his father was prevailed upon to accept baptism, many of his noble followers threatened to leave him and join the Saxons. It seemed therefore politic to keep the former state of things, as far as he was concerned. Let the men of God first succeed in Christianizing the land, then he too might consider the advisability of becoming a Christian. Pilung, having lost his right hand, and consequently become unfit for labor in the ordinary sense, was now generally employed in running errands. One day he was dispatched to the Hommelburg with a letter for the old Herzogin. But so much afraid was he of meeting her, that when she admitted him to her presence in order to give him her answer, his looks showed so little of that peace and honesty of countenance now general with him, that Gaila, knowing nothing of his conversion, saw no change in him beyond his being maimed. "'Ha!' she cried. "'I fear me both Pilung and Hetzilo had to pay dearly for a false oath. Voden took thy right hand, and my son took Hetzilo's. But why dost thou quake in thy shoes? I do not blame thee, and I am sorry for thy mishap, and I pity thee for having to live in a house where the gods are treated lightly.' "'Lady,' said Pilung, but she cut him short, continuing, "'And what about my precious daughter-in-law? I hear the people think much of her. She has turned their heads as she turned my sons with her arts. But there will be an end of this soon.' I may as well tell thee, for thou knowest how to be silent. The heathen nobles throughout the land will no longer put up with the Hibernian strangers. They are going to give the Herzog his choice, either to send away the low-born minx he has made his wife, and drive all these Christians from the land, or else they will turn from him and join the Saxons, and he will rue it. Do not interrupt me, I tell thee, before ye are many months older, banished Gila will have had her revenge. Now get thee back with this letter to my son." She turned from him abruptly leaving Pilung altogether startled by the revelation she so imprudently had made to him. But no sooner had he recovered himself than he sped on his way, running day and night to acquaint the Herzog with the news. Hayden was greatly enraged on learning the treacherous intentions of the nobles in question. But instead of being led to embrace Christianity and to act openly and boldly toward his adversaries, he hoped to gain over his faithless followers by cowardly concession and unjust treatment of his most faithful friends. He wrote letters of appeal to the heathen nobles, denouncing any suspicion that he could enter the service of the strange god, calling to witness the fact, which was true enough, that he had never once been seen to enter the oratory. If his wife was a Christian, well, that was his business. He had found her in everything else his true and faithful wife, and if he allowed her and the Hibernians in general to serve their god in peace, it was no more than the folk thing had agreed to in his father's lifetime. Thus he wrote to the disaffected nobles. But to his mother he sent an invitation to take up her residence at Gaibach thus apparently meeting her cherished desire, while in reality he was anxious to have her near enough to watch her. That she too in her turn now could watch him, he considered not. Heimerish very foolishly expressed his disapprobation of this step, as he was out hunting with his master. "'I am grieved you should have thought so little what the Herzogin may have to bear in allowing your mother to return to this neighborhood.' "'Did my wife charge thee with a message to me?' retorted Hayden, nettled barely listening to his retainer's assertions that she had never breathed a word to him, either concerning this trouble or aught else. The result was that the very next day Gaila was invited to the Würzburg. It was the first time that the two women met. Bilihild had prepared herself to accept with patience whatever show of spite or hatred Gaila might show her, but the artful woman went up to her with the most fawning deference, 
flattering her after a manner which could only rouse Billhild's horror of falsehood, and interspersing all this with constant hints of the respect due to the wife of the Herzog. The noble truthfulness of Billhild could not accept so false a means of intercourse. She retired within herself. She was silent, appearing cold and proud, the very result Gyla had hoped for. Hayden noticed his wife's reserve, and resented it. Gyla presently mentioned her own father, and that he had been a Herzog in Saxon lands. Billihilt could have answered that her father, too, had come of noble, even royal stock, but she spurned the satisfaction of vain boasting, and bore the imputation that accounted her as of mean birth. Gyla spent the night at the Würzburg, to return on the following morning to Gaibach. That evening Hayden informed the Herzogin that morning prayers must be stopped on that day, as it would be a great offence in the sight of his mother. As for Gyla, he watched her closely, and indeed he had plenty of reason for mistrusting her. But his very fear of her intrigues made him anxious to consult her desires. He hoped to disarm her by speaking to her mind. "'It is strange,' he said, "'that the gods should have punished that deceit which Hetzilo meant to practice in their honour. There is Pilum, who took Voden to witness of his false oath, and behold, Voden crushes his right hand. How should one doubt the power of the gods?' That Pilung himself had come to disbelieve it entirely by accepting Christianity, he did not tell his mother. He had moreover considered it prudent to dispatch Pilung on several days' errand before inviting Gyla. But more than this, he stopped morning prayers once for all. Those who cared to pray might do so by themselves, he said. Bilihild obeyed. The thorny path was opening before her. She saw Hayden's affection for her cooled visibly. Whole days he would now spend away from her out hunting, or shut up in his old apartment where he dispatched whatever business of administration or jurisdiction required his attention. During the first months of their wedded life he had never failed to consult her, glad that she should share his thoughts and occupations. Now coldness and reserve had taken the place of open trust, and he all but repented of having married a Christian wife. Love seemed buried and gone. Cause for annoyance, no doubt, was amply at hand. His hopes of conciliating the disaffected nobles by turning against his Christian friends had failed and before long he was surprised with the unpleasant news that Harsa, the Herzog of the Saxons, had invaded the land, and that numbers of the heathen nobles had joined him. Messengers were dispatched in all directions. The people were called to arms. Preparation for war was the one topic of the day. "'In another week we shall be ready to take the field,' said Hayden one evening, having inspected the warriors that had gathered round him. When he retired for the night he found Bilhild in tears. "'What is the matter?' he inquired. "'How should I not weep?' replied she. "'When I see you depart for cruel war, shall you return? My heart is full of fear.' "'Thou wast different when I first knew thee,' returned he impatiently. "'A brave maiden, I thought. I hate a whining woman. I had rather have thee pray for me as thou didst on that night when the wild hunt was upon us in the forest.' "'Do you think, my husband, that these tears prevent my prayers? Yes, truly, I will pray for you, day and night, without ceasing.' yet it is not the same thing whether prayer be offered in happy trust or with a heavy heart. I do not understand thee. Bear with me, my husband. The Christian's prayer is not like a charm by which God in heaven could be forced to do our will. He is the Lord Almighty, holy and just. What availeth all my prayer if he will not hear? And can he hear it, bless and protect one who, having had such powerful evidence of his nearness and saving mercy, has never yet owned him to be God, nor desired to be taught his law? "'I have kept my word,' said he gruffly. "'I never interfered with the Cenobi. I have done my duty.' "'To us, yes, but not to yourself, for your own salvation. Whose protection will you rest in? The true God of the Christians you will not serve, and the heathen gods you no longer believe in.' 
Who told thee I believe not in our gods? Leave me alone with thy preaching. And he turned from her. Before Hayden took the field, he had a meeting with the Bavarian herzog, Poido. It was important for him to renew alliance with this powerful ruler, who could act as a strong bulwark in the south, should the Chawari avail themselves of his absence and repeat their attack. Toido being a Christian, Hayden hoped to gain him the more easily if Billihild, his Christian wife, accompanied him. The meeting was to take place halfway between Würzburg and Regensburg. Hayden arrived with his wife and a numerous retinue, to make up which his Christian subjects had been chosen by preference. The homesteads of two freemen were the appointed quarters, one for the Bavarians, the other for the Thuringians, the free space in the middle being the neutral meeting ground. The two rulers with their retinue entered almost simultaneously at opposite sides. Billihild was at her place close by Hayden. But no sooner had she raised her eye when she grew pale and trembled. It was but a moment before she recovered herself, but her emotion had not escaped the Herzog. He looked about to discover the possible cause. Among all whom they had come to meet there was but one whose unexpected appearance could trouble Billihild, being the only one who was no stranger at Würzburg, Giselhar of the Arch. Poor Billihild had indeed been fearful lest Giselhar should be of Herzog Toido's company. How gladly would she have withdrawn her own presence! But she could not, dared not. How could she have told her husband, prone to jealousy as he was, that she had met this Giselhar once before, and that for one short hour his memory had lived in her heart? Had she not sacrificed whatever of tenderness she had felt for him on the altar of her wedded troth, transferring all love to the husband that had been given her? And if she trembled now, it was not that she had hoped to meet Giselhar again, but because she had feared doing so. Transactions began, soon engaging the young Herzogin upon more pressing realities, and in a measure calming her fears. A treaty was arrived at, but Toido, in agreeing to it, had stipulated that during Hayden's absence the Cenobes and the men of God, as well as their worship, should not in any way be interfered with, and that in the case of interference by anyone they should always have free appeal to Toido himself, as guarantee of their liberties. Hayden very naturally raised objection upon objection to this point, but with a courage and decision he had not looked for in his wife, Bielehilt said, "'I consider this clause of vital importance. Without it my husband's mother will leave no stone unturned in her endeavours to destroy the Christian faith.' The time had come when the Herzogin, remembering the duty pointed out to her by the aged Topman, must stand by her Christian subjects, even to the claiming of her right as the Herzog's wife, against Gila, his mother. She saw it was her divinely appointed position to become a bulwark of the faith in high places, as Topman had said. She would not fail in her calling. Had she not brought her very heart to the sacrifice, even to the yielding up of life's happiness, and should she not now grasp the object of that sacrifice, in spite of the look of hot displeasure darted at her by her husband? Business over, he returned with her to their quarters. His first word on being alone with her was the question, "'Where didst thou meet Giselhar before?' She returned his burning gaze calmly, and said, "'It was he who brought me from Würzburg to Husheim on Easter morn, when I was called to my mother's dying bed.' "'If that is all, why didst thou start at his sight?' "'I was fearful lest I should meet him again, and it troubled me.' Hayden paced the floor in silence, wondering whether it could be merely the recollection of the mournful occasion of their first meeting which made the second undesirable, but far from feeling satisfied he asked presently, placing himself face to face with his wife. Did he make love to thee when you met before? In sooth the time would have been ill-chosen, she replied, adding after a while. It is not fair in my husband to question or doubt me. Is it not enough that I have come to you a pure handmaiden? If you required a wife which had never looked upon man before, you might be prepared for disappointment. 
and she turned from him, indignant and hurt, trying to hide her tears. At this moment Heimerich appeared, announcing dinner. Herzog Teudo awaited their company. Hayden could not delay. Bielehild begged to be excused, but Hayden would not hear of it, saying she must in any case appear at his side. Whereupon she dried her tears and went. Giselhar, being a free lord, had his place at Teudo's own table, and Bielehild found him sitting opposite to her. "'I little thought,' he began, as soon as he had the opportunity, "'that I should meet you again as Herzogin. This was hardly to be foreseen when I accompanied you to Husheim on Easter Day. Indeed other thoughts seemed nearer then, and who knows, had your mother not been dying, who knows but that another might have stepped in between you and your present honours.' "'Indeed,' returned Bielehild coldly, "'methinks I should have been the first to consult, not you nor another, and it seems to me your conversation is ill-befitting a Christian man as I take you to be.' and she dropped her eyes with marked displeasure, allowing him not another word. But he had noticed she had been crying, and from all he had seen and heard besides he had gathered a tolerably correct estimate of her position. "'She is made unhappy,' he said to himself, not only by her fanatical mother-in-law but also by the jealous temper of her husband. She married him hoping to further the interests of Christianity, and now she feels it a sacrifice beyond endurance. But why has he married her? For some sudden love which did not last? It is plain she is no happy wife.' I must watch her." But Hayden, too, was drawing conclusions. "'How brazen-faced of the man to own in my very hearing that he entertained thoughts of her, and who knows but he does so still! And how anxious she was to silence him, lest I should hear more! It is plain to me they love one another, and fool I am to believe her true to me! And, I bethink me, did she not swoon in very anguish when I first asked her to be my wife? But I shall know how to keep them apart." The following morning the party returned to the Würzburg. No sooner arrived there than Hayden sent for his mother, requesting her to take her abode in the Borg during his absence, in order to keep careful watch upon Bilahilt, lest at any time she should meet with Giselhar, who, he doubted not, would soon put in an appearance. "'Now I understand,' he said, why she was so anxious to place the Thuringian Christians under Herzog Teudo's protection. She hoped it might open a way for her old lover to come and go at his pleasure. He then demanded Bilahilt's faithful promise that under no pretense whatever would she leave the Borg until he returned. I shall go every Sunday to the Cenobi," said she, and I shall read and pray every morning with the Christian servants here. I claim the right of your given promise." The Herzog was furious, but Bielehild remained firm, though otherwise patient as a lamb, and not answering a word to the wicked hints of the evil-minded Gila. Hayden saw he could not prevail. "'Then give me your word at least,' he cried, "'that you will not go farther than the Cenobi while I am away.' "'This I will promise,' she said. I am well content with the liberty of joining worship in the oratory, and ask no more." This settled, the Herzog sent a message to the Cenobi, requiring the abbot's oath that no visitor should be admitted during his absence. "'This is interfering with our lawful rights,' said Abbot David, and went to speak to the Herzog himself. Arrived at the Borg, he met numbers of Christian nobles, who had joined Hayden's cause. These, upon hearing the abbot's grievance, went in with him to the Herzog, saying, Unless you give your word to the abbot that both Cenobis shall continue in full liberty, even now in your absence, you may go to war without us." "'Is it not foolish, O Herzog,' said Ruadbert, their spokesman, to alienate your Christian friends? It is the heathen nobles who have turned against you. We Christians are true to our allegiance. Why should you thus grieve us?' Hayden saw he was helpless unless he agreed to their demands, and gave the required oath. Gila too, was forced to swear she would keep the peace. At night, Hayden retired to his solitary chamber, and when Bilahilt woke in the morning, her women told her that the Herzog, with all his host, had departed.
End of chapter 6.